0: Christian, how you doing? Good. How are you, Matt? I'm good, thanks. Uh, welcome to the the Task Podcast. Um, second time lucky, so uh,
1: yeah, it looks like we hopefully
0: we've got our tech sorted this time. Um, apologies for the for the delay getting on, but yeah, good good to chat. So I, I'm in Chiang Mai today. Um, you, where where are you calling from today? Where are you out of today?
1: I am in Teton Valley, Idaho, and we have two feet of snow in our front yard.
0: Wow. Okay, so quite a different setup to here, which is we're, we're 9 a.m. here, and it's um it's probably bridging 30 degrees, and the air's full of smog, and it's very hot. So quite a different environment. Yeah, that's right. Cool. So, Christian, I've I got you down uh, just just some uh, an intro for our listeners. So uh, um, I I have you as the CEO of the the Regen Network, uh, which is a digital marketplace. Um, a co-founder at Terra Genesis, um, which is a permaculture consultancy. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you started Punpun Pun Sustainable Learning here in Chiang Mai. Uh, it, is that everything? Do you want to just do a maybe a more thorough intro for, for the for the guys listening?
1: Sure. Well, actually, first of all, Punpun uh, Pun, uh, Education Center there north of Chiang Mai started by a guy named Joe John Dai, who's an incredible, incredible friend and teacher of mine. And I started a project right next door to it called the Panya Project. Um, but, yeah, currently um, I lived in Thailand. I lived in Chiang Mai region for about six years, and the Panya Project is still running. And then, kind of out of the inspiration that I gained in, in uh, practicing permaculture and working with all sorts of folks there in northern Thailand, Some colleagues and I started Terra Genesis International, which started as a permaculture design firm and in the last five years or so has been really focused on the natural products industry and helping companies really shift their their supply from from like organic supply towards much more regenerative supply. So trying to go from. You know, kind of what I would call a less bad paradigm, which is the organics. And I don't want to knock it. Everyone should keep buying, buying organics. But it is still just a paradigm of less bad. Trying to shift the, the whole world of consumer um, products towards a paradigm of net positive and regenerative. Right. So that's what we've been working with them on. And
0: regenerative. Mm-hmm. It, regenerative is is across a lot of the things you do. Do you want to just broadly, um, you know, talk about what, what is regenerative in an agriculture sense? What, what does it mean just for the people on here who may not have heard the term before?
1: Sure. I mean, I'd say um, very broadly, re- the regenerative paradigm works to grow the capacity of any individual or any system to show up more whole in the world. So if you're reg- running a regenerative business, you work with your employees, so that they can show up more whole in the world. And you work with your, your customers and your suppliers to help them become more whole. Now, when we're looking at regenerative agriculture, the way I think of that is, is that every single farm in the entire world is, is set in the context of some specific place, you know, some specific watershed. That watershed has been there for tens of thousands of years, and it has a natural expression of wholeness. You know, what did what did that place look like 10,000 years ago? What were the nutrient flows of that place? What were the how did the water cycle through that place? What were the flora and fauna um, that were happening there? And then what was the, the healthy expression of human beings in that place? So that's an inquiry I go into. And then when someone says to me that they're practicing regenerative agriculture, my first question is, how is it that you're implementing practices that are helping that farm and helping that watershed move back towards that wholeness that it naturally wants to express?
0: So, so in, in a sense, you know, working the land for what the land is, you mean, you mean rather than working the land beyond, beyond what it kind of naturally is, that, would that be a fair paraphrase?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, I think a good example, a good way of thinking about this is getting concrete. You know, if we if we look at a conventional farm, they're really working from a paradigm of ex- of extract value from the land. Right. Just ripping it up with a till. They they they, they clear everything out and they only have a monocrop there. They're pretty polluting into the streams, et cetera. Nothing that they're doing is supporting the natural expression of that place. And honestly, organics are better, you know, they, they don't use as much chemicals and they try to be lighter on the land. But I don't really think that they're regenerative. There's not anything that they're doing that's necessarily re-enabling the, the natural systems of that place. So what would it look like for a farmer to think, OK, how do I interact with the water the way the water has naturally interacts here? How do I interact with the stream and and the forest in a way that that uplifts those systems ability to show up in a whole way in a whole and healthy way and you know it's the reason I don't have a concrete answer for you is it's very context specific to each place
0: yeah and it's not I mean it's a term that I've I've heard but I imagine it's not a kind of general public term whereas the word organic is is almost become a beyond buzzword now right I I think it's and I, I think people are even wary now of the the label of of organic what what is but, the I'd love to ask him what is the definition of organic we, you know without me my assumption is that organic means something has been grown in a natural way without pesticides but but when you talk about regenerative that that almost seems to lean further in that direction so uh, how would you distinguish yeah.
1: too That's right. I mean, it's hard for me to define organic. There's actually, you can, you can Google it and depending on which organic certification the farm is being certified by, then there is a very complex definition of what organic is. But I would say, I would sum it up by saying, you know, it's, it's not using chemicals, um, and trying to work in a way that's a little bit more like less harm on the planet. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's close to it. It's, it's a little bit, there's a lot more nuance to it than that. Um, but regenerative really invites, okay, if you're located, wherever you're located, you know, go out and, and observe natural systems. If you can find a place that has been untouched by humans, like somewhere in the forest or somewhere in a prairie and just go observe how things work there. What, how are the different uh, flora and fauna interacting with each other what does the water do what is you know what does the landscape look like and not that i need my farming to look just like that but can i use some sort of biomimicry you know can i can i mimic the natural processes that are naturally inherent to that place and help that to inform the way that i that i
0: the way that i farm can you can you give a an example of what you mean there when you say mimic the like like a yeah. uh, an actual working example or
1: sure yeah absolutely a great example example is uh, the rotational grazing of animals so lots of people on this podcast may have seen you know movies documentaries that talk about how you know beef is killing the world that cattle is the most impact food that you can interact with and that's that could be true if we're talking about conventional uh farming i mean the confined animal feed operations are terrible but when we go out and observe natural ruminants out in their natural systems, I'm talking about like buffalo, like right where I live here, there's a wild herd of buffalo less than 50 miles away. Right. Yeah. When we go and observe the, those animals in the wild, what they do is they stay in a tight pack. They create a huge amount of impact everywhere they go, but they move every day. Right. So they don't, they don't continuously make impact in the same spot. They move along. So what what Alan Savory in the holistic management world has has figured out is that if we if we rotationally graze our cattle, like put them on a small paddock, quite quite tightly packed, and then move them every single day to a new paddock, it it performs literally a, a miracle in the landscape. Not only do the cows put on more weight per day than the other, than just put let it letting them free on the paddock, um, but the grass gets healthier and it starts sequestering carbon and the topsoil builds deeper and deeper. It starts m- looking more like a
0: natural prairie. So, okay, so basically, yeah, look at, looking at those natural cycles and, and adopting them in the way we we graze cattle, farmland, and and do everything else related to animals and agriculture.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: So, another ma-
1: another great example is something that the Land Institute is doing here in the United States is they're working on re-perennializing some of our grains. They were they've got a they now have a perennial wheat and they're working on perennial corn. And corn used to be perennial and wheat came from a perennial. So, which means that we don't need to plow the soil every year to re-harvest it. And the, the natural prairies of this planet mostly survive on perennial grasses growing year after year after year and for those listeners who don't know what perennial is uh, you have annuals that you plant every single year and then they die at the end of the year perennials are plants that come back year after year after year so re-perennializing our grains is a really exciting um endeavor
0: Cool. and and maybe a good segue to talk about um and you may You may end up repeating a bit of what you said already, but in in terms of the regen network, so so just for our listeners, you know, my my, our connection, I think, is is some crossover in in what we do around technology. So, um, you know, we're running a business that leverages um, blockchain ledgers. Uh, I know you're in that space and we have some some developers um, that work with with. Are the organizations that we work with, I think you're working with. Um, in terms of maybe just to give a kind of a, a pitch around the regen network and, and what you guys do. And, and like I say, you may have just already explained some of this, but it'd be great to, to dig a little bit deeper into the actual nuts and bolts of the, the organization.
1: Sure. Excellent. Um, well, first of all, Matt, I want to share that I think Task.io is awesome and that that we've started talking about exploring the idea of integrating some of what Task.io can do into some of what we're building. So, um, cool. yeah, great to be connected with you and, and your project.
0: Yeah, cool. And um, I, later on in the podcast, I will talk a little bit actually about some of the the A-related project here. But before I jump into that, I'll let you talk about the Regen Network. So.
1: Sure. Yeah. So out of my work with Terra Genesis and working with these natural products brands, we realized that there was a need for a, an easy, efficient, and scientifically robust um, uh, method for brands to be able to make agreements with farmers. And now we've realized that it's not just brands, but also you know insurance companies and, and banks and governments trying to reach their Paris Climate Accord commitments there we're at region network we're building a platform for ecological agreements and at the center of those agreements are scientifically robust verifiable ecological outcomes and where the blockchain comes into play in that um is blockchain helps create trust and transparency in a way that that a centralized system never could uh in that the data the um, attestations that are made about what's happening on the land will be logged onto the blockchain and time-stamped, so that it's forever um, recorded that this thing happened on this date. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that there's a there's a broad set of use cases that that Regen Network applies to. You know, I come from an ecological agriculture background, and I personally believe that that um, agriculture represents the most important intervention node in the world right now in terms of solving some of the world's most challenging problems. You know, 37% of the of the land mass on this planet is is being agriculturally managed in some way. And if we can incentivize our farmers to shift their practices uh, towards more environmentally friendly practices, we can sequester a huge amount of, of uh, carbon out of the atmosphere, we can create habitat for our pollinators and insects that are so important. We can start to um, heal our waterways. And that contributes a lot to the health of the ocean and the marine environment. And the, the benefits go on and on, including the social benefits. I mean, rural communities are in, are struggling. And the, the, the well-being and the financial well-being of farmers is at the center of that.
0: Cool. So in effect, and let me, let me dumb it down for um – because I always tend to look at things in that way anyway, and it's easier for other people, I know. Sure. But, so we're talking about an organization that is that is um, gathering data that's you know, put into blockchain ledgers. That data relates to how farmers farm their land, and if the behavior is changed in a way that is beneficial to the environment, that is rewarded uh, in one way or another, and that reward, those rewards, I assume, come through uh, organizations that uh, you know, take value from that data. So be it government, insurance, um, you know, other and en- uh, other organizational entities. In terms of a use case, because explaining a use case is always the the easiest way. If we look at, say, insurance, or if there's another one, can you talk through how an insurance company would be involved with your organization, and and therefore, you know, the, what they would do, who are the beneficiaries, and, and how it works? Is that possible, or, or if not, another use case? Yeah,
1: company, right? absolutely. I'm happy to give an insurance use case. So I think the insurance the insurance uh, model here, the insurance play here is probably one of the most exciting and largest um, uh, financial markets to get into for us, but also could help create the most impact on the planet. And that's because the insurance companies and particularly the reinsurance companies like Swiss Re and um, Munich Re um, are already investing into... Uh, reversing climate change and mitigating climate change because they understand if they can reduce the incidence of fires and floods that means there's going to be less claims against insurance companies and thus less claims against the reinsurance companies um so so, they, so
0: let me just go sorry, ahead. let me just yeah dot in where so they they see that as a positive business investment because it's going to ultimately not just solve environmental issues, but it's going to help their bottom line. Um, or, or is that a kind of CSR type approach from those?
1: No, no. In this case, them. in the case of the insurance companies, it's definitely a bottom line investment.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah.
1: I mean, I would love to help them also be able to create uh, impact claims around those investments so that they're getting a double double benefit. But even just the bottom line benefits for them are a, are a incredible um, value.
0: Uh, honestly, so let me if- describe yeah. Well, well yeah, if, if it's a bottom line benefit, I think ultimately y- you tend to get a lot more traction anyway from these big companies. So that, that's a positive thing. So,
1: yeah, um, that's right.
0: Yeah. Sorry that's to butt right. in Carry on.
1: No. Um, so what does this have to do with farmers and farmland? How does this relate to, you know, flooding, for example? And it turns out the reason we have so much flooding and so much, such severe flooding um, on this planet right now has a lot to do primarily to do with the way that we manage our lands and farms have a big role to play in that. So it turns out that if you measure the amount of organic matter in the soil, it directly correlates to the amount of water that the soil can hold. So an insurance company could get on region networks platform and create a smart contract that invited all of the farmers. And we're in the Thailand, we're in the Thailand, um, You're there in Thailand, so let's just use the example of Bangkok. I mean, Bangkok floods heavily every few years. An insurance company could log on to the um, Regen Networks platform and make a smart contract that invited every crop farmer in Thailand, any farmer planting annual crops, and they say, if you're verified to have increased the amount of soil organic matter, you know, the amount of organic matter in your soil – we will reward you for that increase. It turns out that if you can increase your soil organic matter by one percent, it correlates to 20 to twenty 000 to fifty thousand gallons of water being infiltrated into the soil per acre. So you can imagine what that would look like across the landscape of of um, you know the central plains of Thailand. Yeah. Yeah, and, it and what heavily if, reduces the amount of water that ends up in Bangkok and thus the amount of flooding claims that come against that insurance company.
0: And what are the, when you talk about rewards, presumably what well, this is just monetary rewards. So there's remuneration for the farmers for, for getting involved, mm-hmm. or is it other types of rewards?
1: Well, uh, we're, we're agnostic to that. We primarily think that financial rewards are the, will speak the most loudly to farmers. In, in all of our uh, customer interviews with farmers, they across the board say, you know, uh, finances are the key um, limiting factor for us. So so I think that uh, financial rewards are going to be the best. In the case of uh, insurance companies, there's a way in which they could say, hey, we'll offer you crop insurance if you're verified for this, which, which is a value to farmers. So there might be something good there. Uh, governments could use tax incentives Uh, if you're verified to have achieved this outcome we will give you this tax credit that's something that could happen Um, yeah so it could look a
0: number of ways cool and and how does this um how does it change the 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 practice for the farmer i mean for them obviously there's there's a monetary reward but what is the you know is it beneficial to the farming community in general to to change the way they do you know they, they run their farms the way they practice or, or is yeah, it absolutely. you know yeah. is, the, is the motivation purely because there's a reward there
1: sure and this I'm so happy you asked that question because the assumption I think that most people would make is well you're you're going to be taking them away from the most efficient way of farming right and uh that's a story that um that Bayer and Monsanto and John Deere and Syngenta have told us all that that the only way we can feed the planet is through chemical agriculture and intensive uh, tillage strategies. But it turns out that in many cases, when farmers switch back to a more natural system type of farming, where they're where they're enhancing the the well-being of the soil and bringing the soil back to life, that it re- it heavily reduces their dependence on chemicals, and so that reduces their costs and increases their their um, their profit margins. Uh, And we find that yields are generally in the same ballpark as, as the uh, chemical agriculture. Sometimes they're a bit lower and sometimes they're quite a bit higher, depending on the crop, depending on the location.
0: And I mean, this seems a natural lead on question really, but, and this applies, I think in many kind of sustainable type programs, but you know, that being the case, why, why are more people not doing, you know, why, why are more farmers not practicing this way today? Or, you know, is it just a new way of doing things that people don't understand? Or is are there other things that hold people back? Or Sure. Hmm. Um, well, I,
1: I can see a little bit of fear arising in me that I'm going to sound like some sort of conspiracy theorist or something when I answer this question. But but this is just how it is. I mean, money runs this world. And there's a lot of money in chemical agriculture. You know, right, the, it certainly helps the gdp a lot more to have all those chemical companies involved and all those big tractor companies involved and those companies donate huge amount of money to land grant universities land grant universities study what those companies ask them to study you know they build these big fancy labs to study genetically modified uh, crops and they produce sexy pamphlets and big billboards and every farmer loves the look of a brand new John Deere tractor, you know, um, who's promoting organic agriculture, who's promoting regenerative agriculture. Where's the money there. And honestly, there's not a lot of money for the middlemen. There's, there's better profits to be made for the farmers, but there isn't a big institutional, um, uh, profits to be made. And so, it just doesn't get promoted by this by this financial
0: system. So um, you, you, so firstly, you do not sound at all like a a conspiracy theorist, and I'm as far, from, as far from one as you'll ever get. But you sound like a realist. I think. I mean, I, I suppose the yeah the the economics has a has a huge bearing on how quick how quickly things can change.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So yeah, how- and that's a, I think that's one of the biggest barriers there is. Is just you know who controls the the narrative around all this and and unfortunately, you know, my government here in the United States, we have a revolving door between the chemical companies and the and the United States Department of Agriculture. You know, I don't I don't know if it's still that a Monsanto executive is the head of the USDA, but it certainly was during the Obama administration. And so the policies that get made and the laws that get passed and the farm bills that get passed just support the ongoing production of chemically grown um, genetically modified corn and soy and it's pretty frustrating
0: yeah i can imagine it is and I, how does that hinder you guys in terms of your own expansion and as and presumably you're i mean you're in the states now that is your focus area or are you are you focused on territories all around the world
1: so- no i mean we're certainly looking at uh, global um our, our first pilots were in Barbados. We're starting one in, in Ecuador right now, and then a the, the third one right in the heartland of the United States. So we are going global. Um, but I think, you know, there's an exciting potential to work with farmers here in the U.S. Uh, and to answer your question, it's definitely a detriment to us that all the, all the laws support the uh, chemical farmer. You know, there's a lot of subsidies for for oil and diesel, which, you know, chemical farming uses a lot more of that. There's lots of there's uh, crop insurance that you can get for your corn, corn and your soy that you can't get for most organic crops. Um, So it creates an unfair um, playing field. But on the other hand, the farmers are starting to see that that story is drying up. You know, when when the green revolution started back in the 50s and the 60s. The amount of productivity that those farmers could get from applying chemicals to their soil was unbelievable. You know, it doubled and tripled their profits. But now, year after year, the 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 margins get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And these farmers are watching, you know, these big companies make a lot of money and they're watching themselves have to sell their land. So there is beginning to be a narrative, even amongst the, the kind of
0: heartlanders in the United States, that this can't go on. Yeah, right. And do these, how techie do these farmers have to be at all? Or is it just simply, you know, a, changing the way they think about farming? Or, or do they have to, you know, bridge any gap in terms of, um, you know, technology and, and being engaged in, in new types of technology, AI, you know, some of the other, other kind of um, features that you guys have?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, technology is definitely breaching into the agricultural world in general right now with, with smart agriculture and precision agriculture. Um, in terms of our platform, it's kind of dependent on the contract. So, so for example, when we're working with, with no-till agriculture, which means not, not tilling up the soil, we can verify that 100% using a remote sensing data. So the only thing the farmer needs to do is sign up on our platform and share with us the boundaries, the, the geolocation of, of, of her farm. Right. Um, when, we're, when we're working with cover cropping, same thing. We can we can verify it from using satellite uh, imagery and satellite data. Now, when we're talking about using, you know, verifying other things like biodiversity or carbon in the soil, it's gonna require on the ground um, data collection. And that, in some cases, requires the farmers to do certain things, and in other cases would require a third party to come in and collect that collect that data. So our hope is to certainly make it um, not too not too much of a burden on the farmer because they they already work 80
0: hour weeks. Yeah, right. And <laughs> always always easier to to get people to adopt new ways of doing things if it, if it's you know kind of in line with their current current way of way of working so that's right so how's the traction been for you guys where are you at today and and how's it going i know that you're a not necess- well you're in startup mode to a degree like we are but i think a little bit further down the track are you are you still very much in design mode are you out there working with farmers are you out there preaching the message you know how's how yeah. think,
1: right? well we're a little bit of each of each and you're definitely right that we're in still in startup mode uh, we've recently really turned a corner in our company about really being really clear what our product is and what the product market fit is. And now going through the product development um, uh, uh, process, uh, running pilots with with exciting partners, you know, the Rainforest Foundation and uh, and, a, and a cooperative of uh, Ecuadorian cacao farmers that grow their cacao in an agroforestry system. Um But yeah, we're still early on, you know, we're in the midst of a fundraise right now. We've raised, you know, three quarters of a million dollars for our project. We're looking for about the same amount uh, in the rest of the coming year. Um, um, Yeah, I'd I'd say we're looking for by the end of 2019 to have a product and a platform that can actually be accessible and used by um, by
0: a much broader set of, of clients cool well it certainly sounds um it sounds like you're heading in the right direction so um i'd love to uh, we 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 didn't pre-discuss what i'm going to chat about now but i really i'm pretty sure it's an area that you're going to have some uh knowledge ideas and opinions on um sure maybe just to set the the stage and so i'm in chiang mai as you know and you know chiang mai well obviously you've you've done you know you've managed projects here launched the, the the panya project and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, been involved in, in agriculture here. You know, we're in that time of the year um, where there is a lot of burning. Uh, I was about to say farmers burn, but actually, i the more I research, the more I realise it's um, it's a very um, you know hard thing to categorise. All, all you can say is there is a lot of burning in this country, especially in the mm-hmm. north between the the kind of months of February and April, and this year has been particularly bad. Um, the reasons we hear for the burning are you know, sustenance farmers burning to to um, grow mushrooms that they sell, uh, you know, other communities just burning old old dead wood, and then bigger corporations mm-hmm. burning for, you know, the, the new crops to come through. Um, we're looking, I, I'm looking at a pilot program, you know, I would say very, I don't want it to sound too ambitious, because it certainly isn't, this is a huge issue that um, I would, would not want to tackle. But from a technology point of view, you know, we do have a platform that enables us to track activities to help uh influence and change behavior and reward people so you know kind of in line with the the stuff you're talking about and i'm looking at you know a potential pilot with some of these farming communities to see if we can you know funnel uh cash and and other rewards in to have behavior changed and you know i'm talking to experts in uh, on the agri side about why this happens but i'd love to just It's a broad question that there's a lot in there to unpack, but I'd love to get some of your understanding and, and, um, you know, opinion on this. Uh, It's hit the news. I mean, Chiang Mai, just for anyone listening that doesn't know how bad this is, I think we've been like the most polluted city now for like two weeks straight. Um, I'm wearing a mask on the way in today. On the air quality index, we were at 650. The other day wow uh, 650
1: six, Holy smokes.
0: 650 yeah well i don't know i mean you can put in a minute you can maybe explain that what that is because i don't even understand you know i'm not an expert on that side of things but i know i need a mask on uh, the prime minister came up yesterday they're looking at dropping water there is you know it is the hot topic in chiang mai now and it is definitely i've experienced five years of it but this year is uh-huh. worse than it's ever been yeah just to shed well Maybe you can just we can just start at the end there. Like what is what does a a rating on the um, index of six fifty mean?
1: You know what, I'm not even sure. I don't I'm not the best oh, okay. person to talk about this, but I do know when the rating hits into the two hundreds, oftentimes some schools will not allow their students to go outside to play for recess or do, you know, do physical activity. What? So even even the two hundreds are considered pretty uh, severe. So the fact that you're in the 600s is, is off
0: the chart. Well, they closed the schools in Bangkok when it was, I think, at 125. So, wow. And we got to 650 the other day. So, yeah. But do you yeah. – and look, like I put you on the spot, so feel free to uh, boot me out of the conversation if I if it isn't an area you knowledge about. But I make the assumption because of your background and the fact you spent time in Chiang Mai that you may have some kind of previous knowledge to the motivations and the practices that lead to this – you know huge amounts of smoke that fill the valley here
1: yeah sure i mean gosh it's it's definitely a multifaceted uh thing i mean there's some very practical reasons why farmers burn one is just all the the agricultural leftovers from the previous year you know they they harvested all their all their let's say rice and then there's all that rice straw that they don't have anything to do with so they just burn it and and the the leftover little charcoal has negligible benefit it's a little bit of benefit that they see from it but honestly if they could somehow compost that material rather than burn it it would be of much better of much more benefit and then in addition to that there's just like a cultural um some big cultural barriers to get over so in a lot of the um a lot of the orchards they'll burn the leaves underneath all the trees, you know, the Lum trees and the mango trees they'll burn underneath because the Thai people like to keep their orchards quote unquote clean. Right. Um, And, and that's just, it's just unfortunate because leaving the leaves there helps retain more moisture. It helps build soil. It helps the microbial life in the soil to thrive and your, your trees are actually going to do better. Um, now that being said there also there also are some practical reasons why you do it. Um, one one is snakes, you know, which are a big deal in northern Thailand. There's definitely yeah. deadly snakes and by by cleaning underneath your orchard you reduce the incidence of people getting bitten by snakes. Now there are there's also some some what I as far as I understand and I learned this from Chiang Mai University some misunderstandings about burning so a lot of the folks they'll they'll actually not only burn their farms but they'll burn the forest, right? Yeah. It, it doesn't burn the trees down, but it burns all the undergrowth. And the, the in Chiang, Chiang Mai University did a, a study on this, and the people said that they do it so that they can collect, so because more mushrooms will grow after you burn. And um,
0: Yeah, that's all the time. Yeah,
1: Chiang Mai University did a study that found out that it's not, in fact, that more mushrooms grow. In fact, less mushrooms grow, but they're easier to find because all the detritus has been taken off the the surface. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah, I. I mean, you know, we're looking, I'm just researching this at the moment, and we're, we're having, I mean, it's, like I say, it's the hottest topic here, there's, everyone wants to kind of get involved and understand it, and I think the biggest problem is that no one really understands, and what you get is a lot of moaning, um, and uh-huh. no, no solution, so, you know, we're just looking from a business point of view, can we run a small pilot, and actually it's amazing, I wrote an article on it, the amount of support, and positive support that's come through in the meetings I have this week, but... But actually the hardest thing is to really identify, I mean, you you identified two things though, but it's identifying, you know, what can be done instead. And what we don't want to do is push against a cultural norm if that cultural norm is leading to some benefit at the community level, because that, you know, we're not here to do that. You know, I don't think anyone wants to change, you know, something that's benefiting. Like you say, if people are burning stuff because, you know, snakes are less likely to bite you, then that's that that's a good practice um and actually it's hard to know what else to do i mean you know do you just clear the stuff away but you mentioned at the beginning though composting i, I think this was one of the areas with i had been researching so you know composting versus burning it, i mean to put it into layman terms you're just talking about you take that material and find a way to pile it up let it rot and plow it into the ground or you plow it into the ground as it is
1: yeah, I mean that's right. I mean practically from a from a Thai farmer's perspective, they're not going to do a complex composting process. Yeah. They're just going to put in a big pile and let it sit there and let it rot, you know, and the um, the next rainy season it'll rot. And then if you could stir it up with your tractor or at some point go and pick it up and spread it over your property, it would be of much more benefit than than burning it. But even what I just described is 10 times more work than just lighting a match and (laughs) burning it. So, yeah. So, you know, will they see that work as being worth it? That's the, that's the question.
0: That is the million dollar question, which hopefully won't cost a million dollars, but it does, you know, I think this then comes down to how, how come, you know, like as in your, in the regen model, the, the rewards element to changing behavior is, is vital. Um, and you know what those rewards are, how much they are, how much impact and difference it makes in the individual farmer's life is is obviously key.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Matt, I think this is an interesting opportunity. I've never thought of this example before. But let's say the 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 the, the province of Chiang Mai approached Regen Network and said, "Hey, we'd like to we'd like to create a contract whereby we encourage uh, farmers not to burn." Yep. So my My first question to them would be, um, okay, what's the minimum viable data set that we would need so that you would feel comfortable making those payments? And off the top of my head, I think we could probably use some sort of remote sensing algorithm to to um, you know take satellite uh, images and have computers. Um, in a very automated fashion run through and check whether there'd been burning in in specific locations or not and if these specific communities um were verified to not have burning in their in their communities then they could receive some sort of reward from the from the chiang mai provincial government
0: cool awesome well we have i mean that could potentially be a really good tie up then because um you know, following from meetings and, and running a small pilot. I mean, we're kind of getting cooked into some um, kind of government level people. So and, you know, not through myself, but through another NGO that will have those conversations. So if
1: I was sorry to interrupt, I was just yeah. going to say, I think it's, sometimes it's really useful to collect on the ground data and some photos of things and other kind of forms of verification and that's where I think the Task IO um, uh, software could integrate well with what it is that we're doing. Uh, and, and you would be able to speak to that a little bit better than I would. But um, from what I understand, we could create a list of requirements that need to be fulfilled to be able to, to be qual- uh, qualify for this uh, reward. And those requirements could be set out through the Task IO uh, framework and then fulfilled um, by various different parties.
0: Cool. Okay. Well, well, Um. yeah, I won't monopolize the, the podcast with our joint opportunity, but let's definitely have a further discussion about it. And as I kind of learn more about the problem and potential solutions, I'll, I'll just keep you in the loop and then we can look at how we can can partner um, in great. one way or another. So, oh, great. Um, we're kind of drawing into the last 10 minutes or so. I, I didn't have, you know, a whole list of questions. It was more a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is there anything, though – I haven't asked or haven't covered that, that you'd like to chat about that you, you feel is valuable that people would be interested in relating to stuff you're doing doing now and uh you know the regen network? Sure. Um let's see,
1: what what what's currently of interest to me? I mean there's some there's some side uh potential with the regen network that I often don't mention to people because it can get rather complex. Um but we're working with uh, a former um, former Morgan Morgan Stanley uh, employee who's really into monetary policy and the, the workings of of different currencies, right? And he's been asking the question about how we could create an impact-backed, you know, basket of tokens or an impact-backed currency, yeah, whereby you know a a an organization or a company or Whole Foods or Amazon.com could say, "Hey, we're willing to accept some percentage of each sale in this other currency, because this currency represents real positive impact on the planet." You yeah, know? and there's a way in which, you know, just even thinking about that no burning protocol that we just described, there could be a Chiang Mai um, no burn acre. Right, and so for every acre that's not burned, uh, some sort of impact token gets issued, and it has a certain amount of value for the world, right, in terms of impact. And then we could have coral reef impact tokens uh, off the coast of Myanmar, and we could have mangrove restoration impact tokens, and and uh, riparian zone protection impact tokens in the the Midwest of the United States. And eventually, you could have you know thousands of Context-specific uh, tokens that represent real-world you know, ecological benefit. And yep. what what this what this contact of mine was saying is, once you have that, then you could have some party that kind of um, acts as the as the Moody's of impact tokens, kind of judges whether those impact tokens are represent real impact or not. And once you have your four-star and five-star impact tokens, you could put those all in a basket. Of tokens, and have a you know a a currency that is represented by all that impact from around the world.
0: Yep. That,
1: yeah. So that's a there's an exciting there's like various layers of potential that come out of this trust and transparency that's created through through an ecological blockchain application.
0: This is interesting, and I mean it's actually you're almost. Um, you know, you're almost giving the dialogue to the next phase of our business, um, uh-huh. you know, where, where we start to look at. We, we have tokens at the moment. The way our platform works is, you know, those tokens are redeemed for, you know, rewards, which can be cash, vouchers, PayPal, mm-hmm. credit, line credit, Wi-Fi credit. But, you know, the, the broader and, and in fact, we look if we look at, you know, the NGOs we're working with. Um, you know the broader application of that is to say, well, you know, how can the token be measured up against impact of that organization um, so in exactly the same way? So, you know, a mm-hmm. square area of land that is protected. Uh, I think you probably know Tree Coin, right? This came up in conversation the other day. I don't know. I don't know that big business very well, but I think the it's probably the best explained concept because if you look at planting a tree and, mm-hmm. and having tokenizing that process, that tree then grows over a certain number of years and has a greater impact. Therefore, uh, the valuation of that that token goes up and can be measured um, by the impact of that tree or that square footage of land with a number of trees. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think it, it, you know what, it makes a lot of sense. I think the challenge about this whole space is, you know, there'll be people listening to this. I'm only just grasping it and I'm working in it. And I think the the translation of what we're talking about from business to the everyday person on the street there's a gap, um, and I think it's hard for people to quantify and understand this space because these you know digital currencies um, have you know had not the best press in certain areas, and but in the impact area it seems that there's, there's really good succinct ways to quantify the value.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you know, and I think maybe an easier way to think about it is, even if we got away from the idea of it being a currency that could actually be spent, but it's a it's an investment that has a trusted and transparent real world impact behind it. So that impact can never be double counted. That impact is 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 time stamped and verified to have loc- as to happen in some very specific geolocation on some very specific date and that's very useful to the to the planet and so you know as i'm thinking about like retirement funds and and um you know i'm just thinking about like the california teachers union retirement funds you know what wouldn't it be interesting for them to say you know we're going to put one percent or two percent of all of our money into impact tokens we're going to purchase those and that creates a huge demand for impact and then farmers and conservation projects produce more of that positive impact and even if that retirement fund was not aiming to get a financial return from that investment they are investing into a future for their grandchildren yeah and I think that's the reason there's an entire retirement fund in the first place
0: I think it's an awesome idea we just uh, it just needs you know more and more Kind of forward future thinking people, so um, yeah, no cheers, cheers for sharing that
1: mm.
0: so look we're, we're kind of at, at the end, I'm about to get I think booted out of this this meeting room. hopefully our sound has worked you know for our listeners mm. we're, uh, we're, we're doing this over skype, we're in remote locations, so I, I just um, make apologies and excuses for any um, you know issues with sound quality, but look, I really appreciate you taking the time christian to you know have a chat and it looks like we'll talk more anyway on on the business front and potentially with the smoke issue here in chiang mai Um,
1: absolutely well it's been my pleasure matt thanks a lot for having me on
0: yeah that's cool before we sign off do you how can people you know if they want to support you if they want to learn more what's the the best way to 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 find out more about you and and get in contact do you want to do you want to share some details
1: Sure. I think, um, you know, just coming to our website, a good start. www.regen.network. Www.regen, regen.network. Uh, that's a, that's a good place to connect. And from there you can connect to our different social medias. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter feed and a, and a telegram channel. Um, yeah, we'd love to have you engage.
0: Brilliant. Well, um, yeah, have a, have a great evening in the cold snow and, um, I look mm-hmm. forward to meeting meeting in person sometime soon. Great, thanks a lot.